Hello, and welcome to a Mo story. Coming out, I thought it would only be fitting since this is Pride Month that the first episode would be um, coming out. Um, you may not know that I am a 47-year-old male um, who identifies as gay. Um, and I came out when I was 21 years old, which would have been 1997, 8, roughly, I think. Um, it was the winter of 97, I believe. Um, I had been living in Boston and was... Uh, living with girls. I had had sex with girls probably, I think, two months prior to me actually coming out. Um, I had flown home to California to visit my family and my sister, who um, is kind of, I would say at the time, was like my twin, um, although she's six years older than I am, um, had asked me to come over to her house and... Um, hang out. And so I did. Uh, we then proceeded to go take her dogs to the groomers. And um, right when we got to the groomers, I was grabbing one of the dogs. She said, oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you a question. I said, yeah. She said, um, are you battling with your sexuality? And I said, why do you ask that? And she said, well, you haven't been coming home. Um, you haven't been calling and you seem really kind of distant. And I said, well, yeah, kind of. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Everyone already knows. Whew, to my surprise. Well, come to find out, no one really knew. She actually had called the rest of my uh, six siblings and notified them that, in fact, I was gay. Um, and they responded very favorably. Uh, my one brother even said to me that uh, because we had had a brother that died, um, why would he care that I was gay? You know, the brother that died we couldn't bring back, and why would he want to you know, outcast me just because I was gay, which was great. As for my parents, I never really told them, honestly. Um, my parents are Portuguese, uh, who spoke Portuguese mostly in the home. And were, um, we were all immigrants from the Azores Islands. And for them, it was a bigger issue, I think, at first. Um, I kind of just slid it in with letting them know that I was living with my partner at the time, or boyfriend, Greg, um, and that I was bringing him home. And my dad immediately told me, no, you're not allowed to bring anybody home. You're not allowed to bring this guy home. I don't care. I'm not having it at my house. And I just kind of took a really strong stance and said, you don't have a choice. I'm coming home to see my mother and my brother, um, who was still living at home at the time, and I'm going to bring my friend Greg, whether you like it or not. And he kind of just you know, hot and who whatnot. And then um, when Greg came, of course, Greg was a good guy and my parents fell in love with him and it just kind of became a non-issue. I will say though that um, in order to kind of show them that um, I was an adult and I was allowed to make my own decisions and I was the one who was going to choose who I was going to date and not them, um, we had a rule at our house, which was uh, that if you were not married, you could not sleep in the same bedroom. And still to this day, whenever I take anybody home, because I'm not married, I make them sleep in my brother's room and I sleep in my old bedroom. It's just the way it is. I'm not married. And until then, I follow their rules and they have to follow my, um, not rules, but respect my choices as well. Now, when did I know I was gay? 
Well, when you look back as a gay man, you start to notice some things that, you know, are obvious. Um, but at the time, you're not necessarily sure. Uh, for me, it was the greatest American hero. That was the first person I ever had a crush on. Um, I know, not really a good person to pick. Um, and every time I hear that song, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I think of me like just Googling, gogging over him um, when he was on the television. Um, I knew I was different, um, very expressive, very theatrical, um, always a talker, always a storyteller, um, kind of way out there. Um, I went through periods where I was shy, but for the most part, I was, you know, this very energetic, huge personality type kid. Um, my guidance counselor uh, in high school said to me that I would be one of two things. I'd either be popular or a truck driver. And I said, why? And she said, well, because you love to talk and you love to drive your car. And I said, how does this popular thing work? And she said, get out of my office. But that's just an example of the kind of kid that I was. Um, although I thought that I might have been gay when I was younger um, because I was smaller. I weighed, I think, 90 pounds when I graduated from high school. And 5'7", you know, never really got any taller. It might have even been 5'6 at that time. Um, I wasn't that great at sports, mostly because I just really didn't understand them. And I thought that I was too short and I would get hurt. Um, and, you know, as you start to develop into junior high, people stop being as nice. And so you start hearing people call you fag, um, you know, from time to time. And so that kind of resonates with you. Um, I had had sex with women and had had lots of other relations with women. Um, but honestly, I never thought that I was necessarily gay. I just knew something was different until about 18 or 19. I tell people this all the time. 18, 19, and 20, mostly 19 and 20, were the worst years of my life and are probably, I think, the worst years for many kids because society says that you're, you know, an adult, but you don't feel like you're an adult and yet you want to try to be an adult and you still can't figure a lot of things out. And that makes you kind of like act like an asshole. Now, I caution you and tell you to brace yourself as I have my journal from um, January of 1996. Um, this would have been about a year or two before I came out. And I wrote, many times I wish that life would rush and get to the part where all the stuff, all the tough decisions in my life are over and my life is easy. Also that many of my major problems have passed and I will look at them as stepping stones and have gotten me to where I am. Um, clearly, I was already battling with my sexuality there. I remember sitting many nights and just looking at our gutters um, as I sat outside and smoked and pondered how the heck I was going to deal with this. And most of the issue for me was that I didn't have anybody to identify with. Um, there was two gay guys in my town. One was a travel agent um, and the other one was a hairdresser. Both were rather flamboyant. And um, I had also 
somehow in my head believed that when you come out or you're gay that you eventually will become a woman. And I didn't want to be a woman. And I didn't think I was that flamboyant. And at the same time, I didn't see myself wanting to be a travel agent or a hairdresser. And so I was kind of stuck. And I could never really figure out what I was because I didn't think I was gay because I didn't think I was those guys and I didn't want to be a woman. And at the same time, I didn't um, really know what the other options were because I had no other examples in my life. Um, and I think for me, that was one of the hardest parts was trying to figure out who I was with not having any examples or understanding what the hell I was going through. Um, I prayed. I remembered a lot of prayer. I, you know, sat and, and just pondered. I, I mean, you would think I was like a, a extreme philosopher, how much I thought about this at that time. Um, I thought about committing suicide many, many times, um, but had promised myself when I was 13, um, that I wouldn't do that to my mother because when I was 13, my brother was killed in a car accident and I saw what she went through. So I knew that that wasn't an option, but I couldn't figure out what was. Um, recently I did, um, look through an old Rubbermaid container at my mom's house that had a lot of my stuff from high school. And I realized that I was trying to get away from them and from my you know, hometown in Northern California since the day I graduated from high school. So I must have already known beyond reasonable doubt that something was different about me because for my senior graduation, I asked for a Europe uh, road atlas, a United States road atlas, and a Montana road atlas because at the time I was obsessed with the river runs through it um, and I wanted to go backpacking all across Montana and then to Europe. Um, and I just find it so funny that, you know, at the time it seems pretty innocent, you know, and you don't really understand. But then when you look at it now from another perspective, you realize, man, I was trying to get away to come out, you know, for years, way before I even did. Also in my journal from April 25th of 1996, I had forgotten that I had this crush on this boy uh, before I came out when I was in college. Uh, and here's what I wrote. On Sunday, I went to Mallard's, where Jason works, and had a drink, Pepsi. I tipped him $5, but I would have tipped him 100 if I could. On Tuesday, I have to do my speech, but there was a bomb threat, so I got out of it. Jason um, was late and missed everything. Uh, my psych class was canceled, so I went to lunch with um, this girl in music, and she has a boyfriend, Eric from Houston, but he doesn't um, go here. He goes to Cal Poly. She was only been dating for three months. I really like her, too. She took me to Garcia Jojo's. I treated her to lunch. We talked for two hours, and she had to go to work at Sherwin-Williams Sherwin um, Paints. She is a bookkeeper there. Today, I told Jennifer that I was going to class so she wouldn't um, meet me. Jason um, wore shorts, and I could see he has tattoos. Um, it is, it's kind of like a, a wrap around your leg. I asked him if he was going to move. He said he thought so uh, to Fresno if his friend has a big enough house. 
he told me that his dad was having some financial problems and that he might lose his Jeep in a few days. I feel really bad for him. Jason is one of the coolest guys I have ever met. I don't want him to move because he and I get along really well. He told me he was going to do his speech on smoking pot. Um, almost every day after uh, I get out of work at school, I go to Mallard's to see him. Um, and I want to see him as much as I can before he leaves, which literally was because I had the biggest crush on this boy. And I totally had forgotten until I got this journal back from my mom's house. What I, what I think is funny is, is, you know, the, the drama that I wrote in this journal, um, when Jason leaves, I wrote that cancer patients have it better than me. Um, and I just think it's, Cute, and at the same time, you know, just that age where you're confused and you are unsure about, you know, boys, girls, um, your sexuality, and, you know, there's somebody that you identify with who's also really nice, and um, now they're leaving, and, and it, at the time it was devastating to me. I mean, I think I, I must have cried probably a couple nights a week just thinking about that. I was also very, very isolated. Um, the girls that I talked about, um, the Jennifer and the Laura, those ended up being two girls I ended up dating for a while. Um, but they both kind of had their own problems, and later they both ended up kind of outing me, which was kind of funny. Um, Laura was the girl that used to ask me all the time if I wanted her to take her top off, and I'd be like, I don't know. It's up to you. Do you want to take your top off? She's like, well, all the other boys tell me to take their top off, and I'm like, well... It's up to you. I don't really care if you can take it off or not because I really didn't care. I mean, it was bad enough that I was, you know, boning her and like I was a really big oral pig with girls. Um, and yet I never cared if they took their top off. A story which humored many of my colleagues um, throughout the years when I tell them that. Now, I had moved back home from Boston um, in the summer of 2018 um, for a short period of time and realized I couldn't do Northern California anymore after being, um, you know, on my own and, and not having um, my parents there kind of, you know, supervising me and just constantly on me. Um, I was living with roommates at the time when I first left uh, that were girls. And when I came back, they had had uh, new roommates. And so I stayed with them for a short period and I was looking for a new place to stay. Um, I responded to an ad for a place, um, from a colleague, um, named when I got to Mike's place, Mike was about six foot blondish hair built unbelievably and just beyond gorgeous. And so showed me the room. It was kind of small, but I was like, well, whatever. Um, and he said to me, you're gay, right? And I said, um, well, kinda, I'm not out, but I, you know, I think, yeah, I'm gay. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, do you want to go grab something to eat? And I said, sure. So went and grabbed something to eat and, uh, excuse me. Um, when we got back, uh, to his place, we ended up fucking. Um, and of course me being barely 21, 22, I was obsessed and in love with him and he wanted probably not that much to do with me. Um, but I didn't end up moving in with him. I ended up moving in with my old roommates because they had a roommate that was going to be leaving. Um, but Mike and I still hung out. And so Mike and I started hanging out more and more. And the girls that I was living with, living with, they all knew who Mike was because we all worked together. And they were like, why are you hanging out with him? Isn't he gay? And I'm like, 
well, yeah, but he's cool. He's nice, you know, and so I'm just hanging out with him. Um, at the same time, I was on a flight home from, I don't remember where, to Boston, and I met some girl on the airplane. And I brought her back to the house, and I ended up fucking this girl. I remember her name was Uli. And when we were done, she said, you're not gay, are you? And I said, no, why would you say that? And she's like, just wondered. And I thought, I just fucked you. How could you say that I'm gay? But then I remembered, like, I didn't make her take her top off. I, you know, don't think I even came. I think I pretend came, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I still gave her a good pounding, and she was somewhat convinced. Well, Mike um, had started asking me if I wanted to hang out. And so I said, sure. So one night he said to me, um, we're going to go to a gay bar tonight. And I was like, okay. And he's like, so I'll pick you up at like eight. So I thought that going to a gay bar and gay guys, they like to dress well. So I put on my best khakis, my, you know, Oxford shoes and my button down shirt and waited. And when he got to my house, he said, what are you wearing? And I said, well, we're going to a gay bar. Gay guys like to dress nice. He goes, no, <laughs> gay guys like to wear jeans and t-shirts. So there I went in my khakis and my nice button-down shirt and my Oxford shoes to the Ramrod, a leather bar, um, as my first bar ever, and I was mortified. And I sat on a like uh, an edge of the pool table, and this guy came up to me, and he said, I bet you want to be fucked on that pool table. And I said, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm here with my friends. Sorry. And he just like kind of walked away, and I was just beyond mortified. Um, a couple nights later, Mike had asked me if I wanted to go to this club. It was like a weeknight. And I was like, okay, sure. And we went, there was hardly anyone there. And his friend was the DJ. And so on the way home, uh, I was in the front of his Jeep and his friend was in the back. And his friend said to me, do you want some K? And I said, what's K? And he said, ketamine. And I said, ketamine, isn't that cat tranquilizer? And he said, yeah. I said, why are you doing that? He's like, because I thought it was so weird that you would do cat tranquilizer. It just blew my mind. I was like, that's weird. I'm like, no, thanks. Um, and so we went back to his house and kind of hung out. Mike ended up um, leaving or something. And so I ended up staying there and I ended up fucking this DJ guy. Um, so then, I mean, not I'm not kidding. Like, And then it was like the weekend. And Mike invited me to a party at this guy's mansion that was um, in the South End. I mean the most unbelievable mansion you've ever seen. And I brought a bottle of vodka and walked in, put my bottle of vodka down. And I thought, God, there's not much liquor. There was like another bottle of something else like there. And then my bottle of vodka. And I'm like, so weird. I'm like, how's everyone so drunk? They all seem like they're drunk and dancing. And there's only one bottle of liquor. That's so weird. And I was one of the only people drinking like liquor. And I remembered thinking, well, they don't have any orange juice or anything. They had Gatorade, so I mixed it with Gatorade, and, you know, it was fine. Um, no clue otherwise until the next day I asked Mike. I said, Mike, how did all those guys get drunk without that just having one bottle? And he's like, they weren't drunk, Joe. They were doing ecstasy. And I'm like, what the hell is ecstasy? I had no clue. Um, so a week went by, and then we went back out to the club um, that I had gone to um where Mike's friend was the DJ, but we went on a weekend. Now, this is where uh, some of my best advice comes from. If you lose a shirt, pick up a shirt, because I'll tell you why. Um, we go, and I wore my jeans and t-shirt like Mike had told me, and I 
got pretty drunk and started dancing with a whole bunch of guys. Um, and I met this guy named Alex, um, Russian from Newton. Um, and he, uh, took off my shirt and we were dancing and whatnot. And I had tucked it into my back. And next thing I know, my shirt was gone. Um, Mike had left. And so I had to take the train home and I had to take the train home with no shirt. I had to literally cut my own boobs on the train. Like, uh, you know, I, I was in the crying game, all embarrassed. And so I tell you this, if you lose a shirt, pick up a shirt. If you find one on the ground, because you never know when you might need it. So, this Alex guy asked for my number, and so I gave it to him. And so my girl roommates at the time still thought, still thought I was straight, mostly because I was fucking one of them, and the other one was uh, coming into my room and sitting on my dick half the nights um, because she just liked to fill it. Um, and I, he would call, and, and they would be like, Joe, there's some guy with a phone named Alex. I'm like, oh, it's a friend of Mike's, and let me talk to him and whatnot. And I'd go you know, away and talk to him and whatnot. Well, finally he asked me if I would go out one night, and I was like, um, sure. So he's like, I'll come by and I'll pick you up. I'm like, okay. So my roommates had kind of started to get a little suspicious. They were like, you go out with Mike a lot. Um, and you're, you know, going all to all these different gay things and whatnot. And I'm like, I'm just going because it's with Mike and you know, he's cool. Um, but now I had to tell them that Alex was going to come to the house and pick me up. So of course, both their boyfriends are there. Um, I think it was a Saturday night and I get dressed and I get ready and I'm waiting. And right before he gets there, I went into the living room and they were all sitting there watching some movie. And I said, I need to tell you guys something. I have a date. And they're like, who's your date? And I'm like, well, that's what I need to tell you. I'm like, my date is Alex. They're like, what? They're like the guy that you've been talking to on the phone with. It's uh, Mike's friend. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh my God, you're gay. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, I'm gay. Um, and they just sat there kind of like surprised because one, I was fucking one of them. The other one was constantly sitting on my deck. Um, and Alex rang the doorbell, came in. They just all sat there like with their mouths open and could not believe it. It was the funniest thing. And so I went out with Alex and ended up, you know, hooking up with him that night and uh, came home the next morning. And my one roommate, the one that used to sit on my dick was, just like, tell me everything. Have you been fucked? Have you done this? Have you done that? And I was like, Tanya, I'm not going into all this detail. And at that point, I really hadn't done that much. So I really didn't know much. Um, and um, on the next uh, episode, uh, I will go into a little bit more about um, my first sexual experience that I had had, um, which is pretty funny. But Alex ended up, um, and I ended up hanging out, you know, for about a couple months. Um, and then I found out that he was fucking around with his roommate or not roommate, his friend and a couple other guys. And I was just like, at the time I was so young and so naive that I wanted the pottery barn, white picket fence, monogamy, um, you know, soon to be gay marriage, uh, relationship that, you know, did exist, but doesn't exist. And it, for those who it does, congratulations, you're lucky, whatnot. Um, but so I ended up telling him to go fuck off and um, ended up meeting a lot of guys at that point on AOL. And I think it was AOL 2.0 maybe because this was 1989. Yeah, 1980. No, excuse me, 1998, 89. What am I talking about? 1998. And um, the, you know, Boston M4M room is where you'd meet guys and whatnot. And so I was kind of like meeting guys here and there and having, you know, 
somewhat sex. I wasn't fully having, um, you know, anal, um, a lot of just kind of like, you know, above the sheets, kind of blowjob, touching each other and whatnot. Um, and then I eventually got, you know, into, um, anal and whatnot. But, uh, when I first started having gay sex, you couldn't even touch my butt, like uh, in jeans or like, uh, in underwear or anything, just like even the cheek, I would come like instantly. It was horrible. So I had to teach myself not to come because I'm a, I'm a one and done kind of guy. Um, and so it, it was horrible when I first came out, guys would be like, oh my God, you already came. I'm like, yeah, and I'm done. Um, but so that was my coming out. Um, it was not as traumatic as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I will say the thing that was the hardest, uh, other than not being able to identify with, um, anybody was saying, I am gay. Saying those words, I am gay was like the hardest thing to actually, you know, say to, um, even believe. And it was a challenge for a long time to, to say that. And now I don't really give a shit, but you know, I am gay. My sisters, uh, they're older than I am. They became very protective of I am gay or that if anybody would say that I'm gay, they would like get in arguments about it. Like, why don't you mind your own business? And whatnot? I'm like, it's okay. I am gay. It's fine. I know. I just don't want anybody to say anything. I'm like, it's not a derogatory thing. Um, my second oldest sister used to say to me all the time, um, I didn't ever thought you were gay. I just thought you were clean, which meant yuppie. Um, and she always says, Joey, what do the girls think when they see that you're gay? I'm like, they thank God that I'm out and they don't have to deal with me being in the closet. And she's like, oh no, I bet they're sad. I bet they're horribly sad that they can't have you. I'm like, no, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> but cute for you thinking that. Um, so that's my coming out story. I will say to anybody who is listening that has not come out or may be thinking about coming out, um, it is mortifying. Um, and it is probably one of the scariest things you'll ever do. Um, but I will tell you that living a double life and, and the secrets and trying to keep them straight and also just the anxiety behind, you know, everything you do and trying to pretend that you're this other person is so difficult. And it's also not good for you. Um, you know, whenever you get into these different type of stressful situations, your body has a physiologic response to it and it ends up, you know, hurting you or causing you to have, you know, different type of issues could give you cardiac issues. It could give you, um, you know, anxiety issues. I mean, depression, obviously, you know, is something that it, totally will cause, um, and isolation because you, you find yourself wanting to pull away from people so that they don't figure it out or they don't question what you're doing. Um, but I would say at your own pace, um, know that you, um, will be accepted by some and, uh, will not by others. But the way I looked at it when I came out was if you don't accept me, great, perfect. I don't need you in my life anyway. Um, even with my father, when he was first, you know, being an asshole and, and treating me like he, you know, he didn't want me in his life. I still jammed my fucking life into his as much as I could. So he couldn't, you know, get away from it. Um, and I will say that when he died in 2005, he and I were very on very good 
speaking terms and we had, you know, resolved kind of our dumb kid issues and young adult and gay issues. And we were in a very good place and I'm, I'm happy for that. And I think part of it was, is because I didn't let the issue become an issue and it was not all of me. It was just part of me and I wasn't going to let them try to focus on that. So thanks guys for listening today. Um, this was a little bit longer than I had thought it would be, but stay tuned for episode number two, which is entitled Secret Life. And in there, I'm going to go into a little bit more about my secret life prior to me coming out. This is a Mo story, and I hope that you subscribe, review, and um, follow and tell your friends about this podcast. Have a good day. Thank you.